Father, we ask you, we are desperate for your knowledge, for your kindness, for your grace, and for your mercy. We call upon you for that. And may we not only receive it ourselves, but may we extend it to others. Especially as we learn of these stories in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, and how you were so faithful to help Paul, even though he suffered greatly. And that people came to know salvation through his ministry. And we are here, Lord, we recognize because of that ministry. We ask that you would use us in the same effective manner that we might reach others through our knowledge that we gained even this morning and through our personal study in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we saw the core of the gospel that in front of Felix, Paul was delivering and he talked about the resurrection, righteousness, self-control, and judgment. And we know that Felix was afraid when he heard that because he understood there's a judgment to come. And all of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Those who were saved We will be judged according to what we will receive as far as a reward is concerned. For those who are not saved, they will receive a reward in hell for what they did not do in receiving Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers. Only two places, that's the end. That's what we covered last week. Now, why wasn't Paul's case adjudicated? I told you last week that Felix wanted a bribe, so he just kind of kept him in prison and brought him out every once in a while, and he'd listen to him. And Paul was probably thought to be innocent by Felix, but was reluctant to release him on account of wanting to grant a favor to the Jews. So he is being political during his reign. Imagine that, a politician being political. And then God didn't want him released because he wanted him still to be a witness. Now, the current story that we're going to be dealing with is Felix is replaced by Festus. Festus is a little puzzled as to why the Jews are accusing Paul of a capital crime. Festus and Bernice want to hear Paul and the case made against him. The Jews are shouting in their accusations and insist that Paul is put to death. Paul makes the case that he cannot be turned over to anyone without a fair hearing, so he appeals to Caesar. So as all this is going on, it's it's kind of a raucous environment. The Jews are standing up and yelling as Festus and Bernice and Felix are all sitting there listening to what's going on. Now, the subjects, as you go through this chapter, I always go through the chapter and look at, well, what do you want me to talk about, Lord? What, what can I expand on that's in this particular chapter? I, I don't want to just read it. I want to expand on it, and then I want to make it applicable to us. I could talk about being falsely accused. We know that Daniel in the lion's den, he was falsely accused. And that is a theme throughout scriptures. There is the corruption and sin at the highest level of government. Oh, I'm shocked. It's scandalous. You know, there, there's this plot of assassination, at least three times it's mentioned. There's bribery, there's adultery, there's incest, there's gossip. That's all in the scripture right here. Who needs? For those who don't know, when we were younger, remember there were programs on in the afternoon, General Hospital, Days of Our Lives, The Edge of Night, Another World, And then it moved on to 
Dallas, you know, you had Dallas and, and it was full of all of those things, plots of assassination, bribery, adultery, incest, gossip, all of those things were present in those soapbox operas is what they were called. Do you guys remember those, you know, being on? I can remember as a child sitting in the front room and my mom was, do you guys know what an iron is? She, she was ironing in front of the, and it's not a TV, it was a TV tube. Because the tube was the TV. It was a big tube. And it weighed like a hundred pounds. And behind that were tubes that you put in. You know, and it was a box. It wasn't working right. What would you do? Slap it on the side and, and move the rabbit ears. And first it was black and white. And then it was color. And now you got this. Anything. Times are changing. You know, they, they are just going down the road. So that corruption and sin at the highest level of, level of government, and it is scandalous. That is in the scripture here. Enduring hardship so that others might hear the gospel. Remember, he had been in prison for at least two years plus before he was even coming before Festus. And that was because of political actions on the part of Felix. Now, in Acts chapter 25, verse 1, we're going to pick it up there. It says, three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Now, remember, I, I told you that whenever you go to Jerusalem, everywhere else is down from Jerusalem, no matter what direction you go in. For instance, here in San Diego, if you said, I'm going to go up to the Cuyamaca Mountains up there. It's up. But if you were up at the Cuyamaca Mountains and you wanted to go to Encinitas, which is to the north, you'd say, I'm going to go down to Encinitas. And so when he says that he came from Caesarea to Jerusalem, you know, it's this idea of going up to Jerusalem and then he goes back down to Caesarea. Verse 2, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They urgently requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem for they were preparing and ambush for ambush him along the way. Now again, I mentioned three times they tried to kill Paul. In Acts chapter 14, verse 5, there was a plot to kill Paul and Barnabas. In Acts chapter 20, verse 3, there was a plot to kill Paul in Greece when he was there. In Acts 23, verse 13, remember there were 40 men that took an oath not to eat or drink until they killed Paul. And that's when Paul's sister and her son, they informed Claudius Lysias, and he took them that night on the trip up to Caesarea with one city stop in between. And so they tried to kill Paul three times. They just couldn't do it. I'm sure they were very frustrated by that. Now, the broader context, those who are corrupt and who are in positions of authority are always plotting and scheming how they might gain wealth, power, and influence. Does that surprise you? The people who rise in the ranks in our country or anywhere else, there is this move to gain money. How is it that when people go to the Senate or they go to the Congress that they come away millionaires, multi-millionaires, when they have such a low salary? And they say, well, it's just their prowess of investing. And yeah, yeah, I don't believe it. I, I think that the people that go to Congress, many of them go there to get rich, except for, have you noticed this? There's been articles about this, that they're trying to accuse Mike Johnson of using his influence to get rich. 
and he's not rich and they can't figure it out. He goes there, just tries to be an honest guy, do his job. He's the believer, the new speaker of the house. And he's, he's not rich at all. And of course, everybody else around him is rich using their power and their influence. Remember, if you get power, you get influence. And if you get influence, you get money. And that's the way a politician acts. Remember, that's what Felix wanted. Felix wanted a bribe. He wanted to be enriched. And the reason I know this is not because I see it myself, but Scripture talks about this. In Psalm chapter 37, verses 12 through, excuse me, yes, 12 through 13, it says, The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. So there's people who were wicked that they just get mad at those who are righteous because they keep on getting thwarted at every turn. Now, eventually, that's not going to be the case. And in a Psalm of David, Psalm 64, verses 1 through 6, just listen to this. Hear me, O God, as I voice my complaint, protect my life from the threat of the enemy, hide me from the conspiracy of the wicked, from that noisy crowd of evildoers, they sharpen their tongues like swords and aim their words like deadly arrows. They shoot from ambush at it, the innocent man. They shoot at him suddenly without fear. They encourage each other in evil plans. They talk about hiding their snares, they say. Who will see them? They plot injustice and say, we have devised a perfect plan. Surely the mind and heart of man are cunning. That's where we are. It has never changed. In every administration, in every kingdom that's been out there, in every despot, in every democracy, there are these people who plot behind the scenes and they do evil. Now, who would be doing that today? Do you think WEF, W-E-F, is plotting evil, that they're behind the scenes going, what can we do today? I don't know, this just about incensed me. What state, and there's a couple you could guess, what state do you think has the most water, excluding the ones by the Great Lakes? What state do you think has the most water? Florida. Minnesota, 10,000 lakes. That's the other guess you can make. Yes. But Florida. Florida is like a river. What is it? The Okeechobee River that it makes the half the state a swamp? How much fresh water is there? It's limitless. How much fresh water is there? You know what they're doing in Tampa and surrounding counties? Because water is a precious resource, you can't water your lawn more than once a week. <laughs> what? This is not California. This is Florida. Why are they doing that? They're plotting behind the scenes. They want to control everybody and what you do and what you buy and what you look at on the internet and what you purchase and the information you're getting. All of that, there's a desire and they're plotting behind the scenes to control that. They want to make sure you drive an electric car and not drive a gas-powered car. And New Jersey just switched over that 2030. They're not going to sell anymore just like the state of California. And so there's... There's the WEF, the green uh, agenda. What about Hamas? Are they plotting behind the scenes? 
You know, they want to cease fire because they don't want to be destroyed and they're getting their way and our administration is putting pressure on them for that. Or politicians, do they plot behind the scenes? Do they do things behind closed doors? Uh, Guess what's coming up in 2024? An election. Oh, boy. (laughs) Do you think there's going to be plotting and scheming behind the scenes on that? Do you think that media is going to be involved with that? Just know this. Whenever you look at the internet for news or anything that is out there or hear a bunch of people in power talking, there is usually, almost without fail, there are exceptions, but without fail, there's going to be scheming that has taken place. That the words you get, the stories you get, the things that come out, it's all plotted to make you think and feel a particular way. This plotting and scheming takes place everywhere. So this is not new. That's the broader context of what is taking place with Felix and eventually Festus and Bernice. Now in verse 4, Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea and he's addressing the Jews who want Paul brought down to Jerusalem. He says, I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there if he has done anything wrong. After spending eight or ten days with them, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul appeared, the Jews had come down from Jerusalem, stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. So again, the false accusations. Maybe you have been falsely accused. Remember Nehemiah, his accusers were Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Or Job, he had Eliaphas, Bildad, and Zophar. Or Zophar. And Jeremiah, pretty much all of the elders, the Jewish leaders, and other prophets that were there, they made false accusations against Jeremiah. How about Joseph? Who was his accuser? That woman, right? Potiphar's wife. And King David, you know, he wrote psalms about being persecuted and having accusations leveled against him. And not the least of which is Jesus. They brought false accusations against Jesus. Now you, have you ever accused somebody falsely? Maybe you have. If you haven't done it verbally, I guarantee you, you have done it inside where you have accused people of things that you weren't quite sure if they had done them or not, but you convinced yourself that they were wrong and you accused them in your own heart. I I remember doing this. I can think back of times where I have done this. It's like, oh man, the heart is wicked. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that's why the Lord has to give us a new heart. But false accusations were coming against Paul. Now there were three things we find out in this chapter that Paul was accused of. In verse 8, it reads, Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against, here they are, the law of the Jews, number two, or against the temple, or number three, against Caesar. And they're bringing these accusations. They just accused him. They had no evidence. And we know they could not prove this or prove these things in verse 7. It says it right there. They couldn't prove it. They couldn't bring the evidence. So Festus, in verse 9, wishing to do the Jews a favor, here it is, political corruption. You do me this favor, and I'll do you this favor. The Jews wanted a favor, right? 
said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? He wanted to give the Jews what they wanted, take them to Jerusalem and on the way kill them. Verse 10, Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. So the plot was thwarted to kill Paul, to assassinate him on his way back to Jerusalem. Verse 13, a few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there is a man here whom Felix left as prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. Now let's back up a little bit. You have King Agrippa and Bernice. Now, who are these people. They are descendants from King Herod. And you have Antipas, and, you, and if you did the family tree going down, you would find out that Bernice and Agrippa were brother and sister. One year older was Agrippa than Bernice. And there were, they were two of five children they were descendants of Agrippa I. This Agrippa is Agrippa II. And through the wife, Cypros. Their daughters were Drusilla, Miriamne, and Bernice. These guys were all sisters. Remember that Drusilla was married to Felix, who was, uh, he left so that Festus could come in with Bernice and start ruling. He was called king. He got the name king. So they were brother-in-laws is who they were. This is like a family business going on there. And, of course, it was Felix who convinced uh, Drusilla to divorce Azazus and marry him. Remember that? It's like, don't be with that guy anymore. Come with me. And so Felix got Drusilla that way. And then there is Agrippa and Bernice. Now... They grew up and they were educated in Rome as a client king's children would have a tendency to do. If you were a king in a province that was overseen by Rome, you could take your children and you could send them to Rome to get the best education possible. And so all five children were sent to Rome. Now, Bernice, she had three husbands. The first, when she was only 13 years old, and the last, when she was 22 years old, shows she was going through husbands even before you would go through a new car. I mean, she just kept on changing husband after husband after husband. And one of them, the last one there, when she was 22, the guy was pressured, you know, for political purposes to marry her. He didn't really want to, and it ended up being a disaster. But at the time, they were listening to Paul, 
Bernice was 32 and Agrippa was 33. And they were brother, full brother and sister. And they were involved in an incestuous relationship. And everybody knew it. And they were gossiping about this. Matter of fact, even 100 years after they had died, it was still like gossip that was going through Rome and through Greece and through the provinces that Rome controlled. And eventually, when she got to the age 43, she ended up being the concubine or the mistress of Emperor Titus. Titus is the one who ransacked Jerusalem and Israel in 7 AD and destroyed the temple. And she was on the side of Titus, the Romans, even though she was considered a Jewess, uh, not fully, but she was considered a Jewess. And, and so she was kind of traitorous. Well, it, the gossip was so bad in Rome that Titus had to send her back to her brother. And so she picked up where she left off with her brother in an incestuous relationship. And, and that's why Titus had to get rid of her because the Senate and everybody else were saying, you know, this is not good. You can't have this woman in your house. She thought she was going to become the emperor's wife and she didn't. And so this is the family that we're dealing with here, the corruption. And even amongst the pagans at the time, you could not marry your own sister inside your family. You might be able to marry a cousin or an uncle, but definitely not your own sister. And that's who was ruling. He was the king, King Agrippa, who was there ruling with Bernice at his side. So you get a feel for what's going on there, the corruption that's taking place, the innuendo, the gossip, the bribery. It's all there. Verse 16, I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers and has had an opportunity to defend himself against their charges. And so this is Festus talking to the Jews saying, I can't do this. This is not the Roman custom. Verse 17, when they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convinced the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss to investigate such matters, so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial on these charges when Paul made his appeal to be held over to the emperor's decision. I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. So what's going on here? Festus is talking to Agrippa and Bernice, and he's just giving them the story. This is what happened. And hopefully I can bring you in so I could write something because he's appealed to Caesar Nero. That's who Paul would end up going to. And who was Caesar Nero? Who, what was he famous for? Persecuting the Christians. And we know how Paul ended up with his life. Verse 22. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, tomorrow you will hear him. So verse 23 says, The next day Agrippa and Bernice, brother and sister, came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. By the way, just going back for a minute, a, a parenthetical thought, Titus was dealing with so much gossip with him being with Bernice 
that he ended up either whipping, torturing, or killing those people who were caught gossiping about him. That's who Titus was. He was a ruthless man. All these people were ruthless. Okay, going back. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa, and all who are present with us, you see this man, the whole Jewish community, has petitioned me, has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea. And here's the operative word, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving death, but because he had made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I might have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. You see, he he has kind of a dilemma here. I can't just send them to Nero because Nero will come back at me and say, why are you sending me this guy? How come you haven't dealt with this? There has to be a serious charge go on. And if Festus does that, then it could end up with his own head being lopped off. Now, for Rome or the Roman community, there were reasons for capital punishment under Roman law for citizens. It was different for those who were not citizens. But if you look today, what is a capital crime in the state of California. I don't know when the last time was somebody was executed in the state of California for whatever heinous crime they might have committed. And this is a move that goes across the country. And there is this idea, even in the Christian community, and I could talk about capital punishment. I could go down that road. I'm just going to touch on it a little bit. This idea of capital punishment, that the government does not bear the sword in vain. According to the book of Romans, I believe it's chapter 13. They're the ones, and the sword means they have the ability to kill someone. As individuals, we don't have the right to kill somebody or administer justice to kill them. We can in self-defense, but even that now is being prosecuted. I just saw a a guy, he had a concealed carry permit, he was in New York, and he stopped an attacker on his wife, shot him, I saw the video stills of it, and he is the one now up on charges. He is the one that is going to court and going to have to defend himself. And so there is this idea of a capital crime like rape and murder and uh, there's some other heinous crimes that you could uh, categorize as a capital crime where they take the life of the individual. But for the most part, it's kind of disappearing in our country. Biblically speaking, some people would say, well, if you're pro-life, you have to be pro-life all the way. You have to protect the baby in the womb and you cannot take a life of a human being remember Noah Noah came before the law and God told Noah if somebody kills somebody else you're to take their life as a government administration so to speak as a person who has the authority to administer it like I said we cannot go out according to scripture and just kill somebody That would be a sin. It would be a gravest sin. And somebody who's a murderer does not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we're, we're not supposed to be engaging or involved in that type of behavior. Then the law came around. And 
The law said, if somebody commits a capital crime, you're to capitalize them. You're to take their life. Well, in the New Testament, what does the New Testament say? Do you think Jesus would allow you to defend yourself? Remember Peter? Peter, the zealous one at the point, at the end when Jesus' ministry was ending. And Jesus would give them the final commands of what to do and they're to go out. and, And he said, now take a sword with you. The only reason you take a sword is to defend yourself. That's the context in which Jesus delivers it to Peter. And Peter goes, well, I got two. And he goes, that's enough. You know, it kind of gets frustrated. So you were supposed to protect yourself when you went out witnessing and you're supposed to have a sword at your side. So before the law, in the law, and the New Testament, capital punishment is allowed. Now, you might say, well, that's just self-defense. No, you go to Romans chapter 13, and the government has the ability to take a life of someone, especially if they've committed a murder, especially if it was first-degree murder. It might be different for second or third degree or manslaughter, something like that. But make no mistake, as we get away from subduing evil, and evil is rising The capital crimes go away so evil continues to rise. That's what's taking place in our society today. Even Paul said, if I committed a capital crime, I'm not unwilling to die. I'll die because that's the law. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what scripture teaches. Now, going on with this, I kind of got sidetracked. Verse 23. The next day... Agrippa and Bernice came with... Uh, wait, I read that, didn't I? Yes. Shouting any longer, verse 25, you found nothing wrong. And I think it is unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. So he, he wanted to be able to specify a capital crime. Now, the crimes that you could be killed for as a citizen were treason, murder, adultery, libel, robbery... And arson. Those things in the Roman society, you could be killed by the Roman government if you were found guilty of committing one of these things. Adultery and rape seem to have been considered heinous crimes, but punishment depended on the persons involved and the situation. In other words, were they wealthy? Did they have influence? Could they get away with it? You know, that type of thing. And although death was sometimes the result, it was carried out by private citizens rather than state enforced. And so the state said, you have the ability to take their life. And by the way, in the Old Testament, if say you were working in a field and you got frustrated with the person you're working with and you decided to take the pick or the hoe and slap them upside the head and they die right there, The person who is a family member could come and take your life unless you ran to a city of refuge. There were city of refuge that were set up all around Israel and you had to run there if you didn't want to die. And once you got to that city, they would adjudicate your case. They couldn't just kill you. But if the relative could kill you before you got there, it was justified. And and so they had their own court system set up as well. Now, the reasons for capital punishment under Roman law for non-citizens or foreigners or slaves, another thing was added to that forgery. 
If you forge something, you could be killed for a capital offense. Now, the mode of execution, I could go into a long dissertation about that, but the worst possible way that people could die, they would kill them. Uh, Just to give you one example, if somebody was found guilty of one of these crimes, they could put them in a sack and they would put in there a snake, a monkey, and a rooster. And they would throw you in the river or the ocean. uh, Talk about mayhem going on uh, inside a sack like that. And of course, you know, they had the crucifixion and they had other ways too that were just horrible ways to die. And it was a great deterrent for those who would seek to commit a crime, especially a capital crime. And by the way, when there is capital crime, uh, punishment for capital crime, it is reduced when the sentence is carried out. People look at that and go, well, I don't want to die. I mean, take an example in California. The law that was passed that, what, you can steal up to $900 and it's only a misdemeanor? When they did that, what happened to theft? Shot through the roof. Because and a lot of the people, they say, oh, I'm homeless. Oh, I, I don't have ID. And then the prosecutors wouldn't prosecute them. So that's where we are today. You know, when a punishment for a crime is not carried out quickly, the hearts of the people fail, Scripture tells us. It's like, oh, what are we going to do? You just arm up and you take anybody on that's coming at you, that type of thing. It's like every man for himself, every woman for herself. It, it turns into anarchy when you have people like that. And there are people behind the scenes that are scheming like, what can we do today to bring about a change in the way we live in society? Let's just bring out chaos. So every time you see chaos, you know somebody behind the scenes has been involved in developing that chaos. Who do you think funded all these radical groups, anti-fund, BLM? Chances are it was people in our own government directing government money towards those entities. And you go, what? Go figure. That happens. Now, Paul had been undergoing a tremendous amount of persecution. Can we expect persecution ourselves? Well, to one degree or another, I think we can. It has happened to me on a low scale. I related a story several years ago. I was doing some gardening on a house. I was landscaping on a house and somebody drove by and they said, hey, can you come look at our house? It's right down the street. This is in El Cajon. I said, sure, I'll, I'll come look at the house. And then I gave them my card and they looked at the card and they go, oh, new life landscaping. Are you a Christian? I said, well, actually I am. They said, oh, well, we're gay. And that goes against what we believe. And so I was discriminated against according to my religion. Now, what could I do? I could bring a lawsuit, right? I just walked away is is what I did. But it was still discrimination. You know, and that's what the those who are tolerant say, we're not supposed to discriminate in any way, shape, or form, except for those who are Christian. You can discriminate against them. You can taunt them. You can ridicule them. Everybody else, you're not to touch them. You see how this is getting just like flipped around? And, and Paul, of course, he was persecuted. And John, John 15, verses 20 and 21, 
Jesus gave these words. He says, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And he's referring to the Jews there, the persecution that comes. So there's going to be some level of persecution if you open your mouth and if you have a testimony of Jesus Christ saving you, you share it with people, you will suffer persecution to one degree or another, just depending on your locale, if it's the United States or if it's Yemen or someplace like that, you'll suffer in some way. Now, Paul commented on his own persecution. 1 Corinthians 4.12 says, We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. So even when he's persecuted, he says, bless those who persecute you, just like Jesus. Now, is that in our future? You know, it's that time of year. Predictions are going to be coming out. What is going to happen this next year? How bad is it going to get? Some of the predictions, I was looking them up. Not all of them are out there yet. They say temps are going to be hotter this year because of El Nino. They also have told us there's going to be now, and maybe you didn't know this one. In 2024, a minimum global corporate tax of 15% goes into effect for all multinational companies making over $800 million plus a year which means everything you have is going to go up in price. And my question was, where the, where's this tax going? Is it going to the UN? Yeah, and 139 countries have bought into this. It's like, oh, this is like a one-world system. I, I think I read about that in the Bible somewhere. Anyhow, uh, the USA, we're going to go back to the moon in 2024. We haven't been there since the 60s. I think maybe going into the early 70s, there's going to be a total solar eclipse April 8th, and it's going to go right through Dallas, Texas. So if you have it on your bucket list to go see a total eclipse, that's one place to be. It's going to go all the way up to Ohio, April 8th. Make your plans now. Well, what about Nostradamus? What did he say about the times in which we live? This is what he said. The dry earth will grow more parched, he predicted, in one quatrain. And there will be great floods everywhere. He warned a very great famine through pestiferous wave, which means pest. The later phrase, potentially referring to tsunamis destroying agriculture and allowing diseases and starvation to take hold. So that's what he predicted for this upcoming year. When somebody comes up to you and says, hey, what's going on? You go, oh, nothing. What's going on with you? That's one way to say it. Other people this year are probably going to be saying, what's going on? They're going to hold their hand. I can't believe what is taking place. Well, I can tell you with the high amount of confidence that this coming year, riots will increase. There's going to be election riots will increase wars will increase evil will increase death will increase and natural disasters will increase how do you know that how can you say that the bible tells us that we are in the last times now i'm not going to read all of matthew 24 
but it talks about the wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. And I, I started looking up, you know, the old adage, well, earthquakes are increasing and, you know, natural disasters are increasing. And so Daryl, show him that first one. You see that? Now, I looked on MSN and they said, you know, some people would say that the volcanic activity is increasing, but it's rot- not really because of social media. This is a graph. The top line there shows the increase in volcanic activity. You see that? Now, it has the years at the bottom. I don't know if you can see it. 2000s right there, 1950s right there. And the USGS, they'll say things like, well, you know, we have better monitoring now. I think we had good monitoring 40, 50 years ago. Can you see where this is going? And if you go to other websites, they say, no, it's not increasing. How about the next one, Daryl? Now, this one, I got to expand it to read it. Known historic active volcanoes. There appear to be more of those active volcanoes. I mean, look at Iceland. It's just like blowing up over there right now. And so are they increasing? Well, I'm going to let you judge. You look at the graphs and you come to your own conclusion. And then USA Today, not a conservative newspaper, said disasters are increasing and they are weather related. Have you guys seen all the floods which are out there? I mean, everywhere. Around the globe, these things are taking place. And extreme floods are happening way more often than federal data would suggest according to CNN. And I have that article listed right here. And then the idea of earthquakes. Now, I'm going to show you another one, the next graph. This graph shows earthquakes as related to volcanic activity, not all earthquakes. Is it slightly increasing? It is. It's slightly increasing. You can see that line that's going through there. I think you can see that line. Yeah, it's increasing. And so when somebody says, well, it's not going to increase, we know Jesus already told us in Matthew chapter 24, these things are going to increase. So predicting what's coming in the future, are we going to be persecuted? I don't know. Are wars going to increase? Bible says it is. Natural disasters going to increase? Bible says it is. And by the way, in context, when you're reading all these things that are going to take place, the end result of all of these things is increased death. That's why he told us these things are going to take place because death is going to increase. And so if we're on track, all of those things that I previously mentioned are going to increase. Now, let's apply all this. What does the future hold? Paul knew that persecution awaited him. It was in his future. God told us that persecution awaits us. God told us there's problems ahead for us. Remember, he was falsely accused, also the corruption and sin at the highest levels of government, the scandalousness that was taking place, the bribery, the adultery, the incest, the incest, the gossip, all that's still taking place now, and there's even more of it. And enduring hardship so that others might hear the gospel. Are you guys willing to go through hardship? so that others might hear because you're going to open your mouths and you're going to tell people about Christ. Because we know that the end, we are in the end times. We, scripture tells us we're in the end times. And there's going to be a rapture. People are going to be left behind. And we have to be prepared for that. We need to speak to others. If you know somebody, how would they feel if you didn't tell them about the gospel and they're left behind? He never told, he was a Christian. He never told me that things lie ahead. And I don't say that to Pack your bags for a guilt trip. I'm not doing that. 
All I'm saying that as a disciple, it's my job to encourage you to love and good deeds. It's a good deed to share the gospel. But we look into ourselves and go, I can't do it. I get so nervous. I'm... Train yourself to do it. Go out witnessing. Every opportunity I have when I'm out working, I take it. And I talk to somebody. I carry tracks with me in my truck. And I pass those out. And I have a New World Translation in my truck too, just for the Jehovah Witnesses. But I, you know, I, I go out and I witness. And that's what God is calling us to do, to be a faithful witness just like Moody and Meyer and Chapman and Billy Sunday and Mordecai Ham and Billy Graham. We are all supposed to be like that. And that's what Paul is doing in the midst of his persecution. And whether it comes or not, we are supposed to be reaching out to others that they might confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. And because with our hearts that we believe and are justified and with our mouths that we confess and are saved. That's our goal. And if you're in here and you haven't done that, that's all you need to do. If you're confused about what exactly to pray, you just say, Jesus save me. He gets it. He'll save you on that alone if you just reach out to him. That is my prayer for you, that you are able to go out and be a witness for Christ. If you don't know Christ, that you accept him as Lord and Savior, and may he bless your efforts as you seek to be an obedient disciple. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul, and he knew it was rough, rough going ahead of him, and yet he was still faithful. May that be the case with us. No matter what comes our way, if we have the next four or five years of prosperity, wonderful, Lord. We know that it comes from you. And if not, Lord, we know that you have taken your favor away and your plan is being installed for the end times. Whatever the case, we will rejoice in you knowing that your word is true and we can trust what you said while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the church said, please stand.